Let's pray together. Father, we, we, we are so grateful to be your children today. And, and just that song and all the songs we've sang this morning, declaring your wonder, your glory, the assurance we have in you. Do you never leave us? Do you never forsake us? Or that we are your children and we no longer have to be slaves to fear, but can be free in you. Lord, as we open your word this morning, increasingly bring freedom in our lives. Increasingly bring us hope. Jesus, we love you. And we give this time to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. It's good to be with you this morning. Um, I'm going to be in two different texts today, John 15, 5 and Titus 3. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat ahead of you. It'll also be on the screens. You can also access it through the ESV app on your phones, Bible Gateway on your phones, and many other ways on your phones or other devices. Um, Anyway, that's like what we have to say now. And uh, anyway, we're glad you're here today. Last night, I did a wedding at five o'clock in Detroit. Um, And uh, so me and Deb and Ryland spent the weekend in Detroit. It was weird. When I crossed the Michigan border, I got like this sinus headache that was terrible. And then I came back, and it's gone. It was the weirdest thing. And so I don't know what that, that's all about. Um, uh, did a wedding in Detroit, and the church is 175 years old. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. spoke in it two weeks before um, he was assassinated. And uh, it, was a, it was a great wedding, and uh, it was for Brian and Rachel Dorshuk, and uh, it was a great time. And so um, I'm awake. I am caffeinated this morning, and we're ready to roll. So... Um, this morning, we're going to be in Titus, John 15, 5, we're going to read first, and then Titus 3, 2 through 7. Um, before, we, before we read the text this morning, just a couple of things, um, just family business. One, we've continued the process of searching for um, a, a worship pastor. Now, uh, some of you, all of us come from different backgrounds and churches and how these things operate. And so how this works here is um, you all voted on me about two and a half years ago, and uh, some of you voted for me. Um, and so uh, that's why I'm here. And, um, and so then, and how we work is then I get to kind of choose the hires outside of that. Now, I'm not a fool, and I believe what the scriptures teach about a council of many. And so we've been in a search process now for a few months, and um, myself, the elders, um, pastors, directors, some of the worship team um, have all been involved in this process. And we've interviewed some and we're kind of nearing hopefully the end of that process. But I wanted to make sure you knew where we are in regards to where we're going and uh, <clears throat> continuing to um, yeah, increase, the, the <clears throat> increase the, uh, the expanse of our worship ministries here. And in light of that, if you can sing in the choir, if you can play an instrument, um, if you want to be on the praise team, there's a lot of room for you to be a part of that. And so I encourage you to reach out. In my article this week, I told you ways that you can reach out. Love for you to reach out and to engage because I believe God's doing a great work here. And I know there's volunteers all over the building, but on the stage, this is a place where you can have a part in what we're doing also. Another thing I just wanted to say quickly for, on behalf of our pastors, um, you may not know this, there's like an appreciation month for everything. Uh, I don't know if you know that, but there's a pastor's appreciation month, it's this month, and many of you have reached out and said so many kind things to us, and um, we're grateful for that, and so thankful, thank you for your encouragement to us um, this month. I know I speak not just on behalf of myself, but the other pastors 
for how you encourage us so much. Um, North Canton Chapel is a great place to serve as a pastor, and I'm grateful to be your pastor. So thank you for your encouragement toward us. Um, it is welcomed every once in a while. So uh, just that's kind of a joke. And so um, if you will this morning, let's stand together for the reading of God's word. John 15:5 and Titus 3, 2 through 7 reads, I am the... I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And Titus 3, 2 through 7 reads, To speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, Slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of his Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the gospel of hope, uh, according to the hope of eternal life. Father, we pray that you would bless this reading of your word. God, that you would speak to us each. Lord, we believe your word is true. Lord, help this truth that we've read today be reality in our own lives. Lord, anoint me and use me, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So this morning, as we look at this passage, I don't know if you've noticed this. I was looking back about a year ago at some different things I'd written and our services, and um, I don't know if you remember this, but there was an election last year. It may have totally slipped your mind, um, but, um, and there was times within our election season, if, if you agree with me, just like raise your hand on this, that it was like borderline embarrassing. Would you disagree with that? Like it was just like, th- what is happening like, what's going on? And it was, it was kind of like this. It was like a, and it wasn't, this was just kind of everybody. It was like, it was like volleying, right? This one thing got lobbed over, and then somebody else lobbed another thing over. But it didn't stay, like, in, on an even court. It just kept going up and up and up and up in harshness. And I believe, I believe that we live in a day of unprecedented incivility. So I believe we live in a day of unprecedented incivility, meaning that that we live in an age where if you disagree with someone, you are demonized, condemned, and harsh. And I think what we feel in our tone of our society is an excessive harshness, condemnation, and, and demonization of those that don't agree with us. And what happens in this as a culture is we tend to burn bridges more than build bridges in trying to get others to kind of come on to our side and our team. Now, if you know me very well, I have some very, very, very strong opinions. And I know some of you really well, and you have some very, very, very strong opinions, right? Like, we all have strong opinions. But what do we do as Christians in an age of, of incivility, or even maybe to say of unprecedented incivility in our time? That's what I want to look at this morning as we look at this text. How do we react and respond in the culture in which we live according to being people 
of the gospel, the church, the saints of God, how do we respond when there's kind of this incivility and harshness? And this isn't, this isn't democratic and republican. It's, it's that and it's, it's rich and old. It's I like this and I don't like this. It's you should have this kind of phone or this kind of phone or you should, right, are you with me? Like there's, argue, like there's harshness over like you're an idiot. You have, you don't have a Mac? That's crazy, right? Now you are crazy because I do have a Mac and that is ridiculous if you use anything else. But I'm just saying like we live in a day of this little things. We can be really harsh with one another over. And so what do we do as Christians in regards to that in our day? I think in John 15, 5, the first thing that we see is that, that we are called to abide in the true source. So if you're following with me, abide in the true source. So Jesus will say it like this, I am the vine, right? You are the branches. So Jesus is the vine. He's the true source. He is, he is, he is it. He's, he's where everything good comes from. So Jesus is, and the Old Testament would be like this, I am that I am, I am that I am, right? This, he is the final, he is the Alpha and the Omega, at the beginning of end. Jesus is God. He is the true source of life, our creator, our sustainer. And this is the age of incivility we live in, is we, we've forgotten this really kind of baseline fact that each and every one of us were created in the very image of God. And I don't know what everyone deserves, but I do know that every person, because they are image bearers, deserves dignity and respect. Every life, every person that walks on the planet. Anybody with me on this? Right? So, so we are image bearers, and, and so in this, I am the vine, Jesus is the vine, he's the source, we are the branches, we see ourselves well, made in the image of God, created by him, we see that our, our creator is bigger and, and better than us, and so we know that I am what I am, not the final authority. And so it says, he who abides in me will bear much fruit. So he who abides in me will bear much fruit. So abiding, what this means is resting, seeking, setting, abiding. These words we've used in the last two weeks, they kind of connect to the same word abide. And what it means is, is that I, I rest in Jesus. And so if, if the cross is this picture of the fullness of the gospel and what Jesus has done, it's, it's I never lose sight of what Jesus has done. When I wake and when I lie, when I go about my day, that Jesus is at the very center of my life and I'm abiding in him, resting in him. Maybe this way I say it, never, ever, 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 ever forgetting who he is and what he has done for me. And so what happens in our life as we, as we, as we abide in him, we, we rest in him. And when we rest in him, he says, we'll bear fruit. And fruit looks like this in the scriptures. It's peace and it's compassion and it's love and it's, it's being someone who gives life and, and walks into a room and, and is humble and is kind and isn't self-seeking and isn't envious. And it's, these things are what Jesus says. This is what fruit is born out of us as we rest in him. So as Jesus has given me peace, I am a peacemaker. As Jesus has brought me compassion, I act in compassion towards others. As Jesus has loved me, I love others. As Jesus has brought life to me, I bring life into this world. As Jesus has shown humility toward me, I show humility towards others. As Jesus has shown kindness toward me, I show kindness toward... Are you with me? We could go on like for a long time with this. Of all who he is. But again, maybe that's the question. Who is Jesus? When we set our eyes on him, who is he? Well, he is compassionate, kind, loving, caring, giving. 
He is gentle as a lamb and as strong as a lion. He gives strength to the weary, relieves the pain of the afflicted. He heals the blind, makes the lame walk. In the Old Testament, he's the fourth man in the furnace. He's a commander of the army of the Lord. He is the suffering savior, the crucified king. He's our king. He's victoriously resurrected. He's our advocate before our God, our righteousness, our victor, our savior, our sovereign. He's our advocate before God. He is our righteousness. He is seated at our Father's right hand, accessible to abide in and bring us life today and inform our lives today. Jesus is these things. And so when we abide in the true source, what I believe is we all win. When as a church we abide in the true source, we all win. Now, the reciprocator of that is true. When we don't abide, we all lose. Now, I'll say this. I'll come down with you here for a second. I'm not going to walk on chairs today. I'll say this with you. How many of you, just raise your hand, if you've been hurt by someone in a church in your life? Go ahead. Right? Raise your hand. Come on. Right? I'll tell you this. As a pastor... I've been more wounded in the church than by anybody outside the church. And here's what happens when harshness comes. All that we're showing is one thing. We're not abiding. When I abide in Jesus, what comes out of me? Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. All these things. When I don't abide in Jesus, what comes out of me? Anger, wrath, malice, envy, jealousy, fits of rage. Galatians 5, the fruits of the flesh and the fruits of the spirit. We all win when we all abide. So we're going to do a little exercise here. I haven't had you repeat after me yet today, so we're going to go after this. So I'm going to say it, then you say it. And so I'm going to say it first, then you say it. We all win when we all abide. Just one more time. We all win when we all abide. And so church, do you believe that when we, when we abide in the compassionate, the kind, the loving, the caring, the giving one, the one who is gentle as a lamb, as strong as a lion, the one who gives strength to the weary, relieves the pain of the afflicted, who heals the blind, that makes the lame walk, the fourth man in the furnace, the commander of the army of the Lord, our suffering savior, the crucified king, the victoriously resurrected one, our advocate before God, our righteousness, our victor, our savior, our sovereign, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who's seated at the right hand, accessible to abide. When we abide in him, we all win. And when we don't, we all lose. Can I get an amen? We all win when we all abide. The second in this is we we must not only abide in the true source, we must choose a prevailing faith. We must choose a prevailing faith. So notice in this, I'm going to say this, that, that we are, we're not saved by faith. We're saved by grace, and we live by faith. 
And so faith is a, a willful act. And so the reason we chose the word choose is faith isn't something that just comes. It's something I choose. It's an action just like abiding. Abiding isn't something that just comes. It's something I choose. So I abide in the true source and I choose a prevailing faith. So this text in John 15, it doesn't just talk about who Jesus is. It talks about who we are. It says, I am the branch, right? We, we must know who we are. And so for you, you know, this past, like, I, I know this about me. I know, I don't know everything about myself, but I know a few things. One I know is that I am not the man. I don't have it all together. I don't have all my ducks in a row. I am not perfect, nor have I ever been, nor will I ever be. And I live with five women that tell me it all the time, right? Like, I know that I am not the man. And in this, but there are times in my life where I am kind of like, yeah, I'm the man. I got this together. Why doesn't everybody listen to me? Come on. Get, get on this. Like, if everybody listened to me, this world would be a better, better place. Um, women, right now in the room, I just want you to think about this. If, if maybe it's your husband, your dad, or whatever, if, if, they, if they called all the shots, would this world be a better place? Eh, probably not, right? If your wife called all the shots, what... Oh, wait, she already does. Uh, and so, just kidding. Uh, um, that's a joke, kind of. And so, so, so in this, we, we understand that, that none of us have it together. There's no woman in this room, there's no man in this room that has it all together, that if we were in charge and we called all the shots, that things would be better. It's not going to be better if any of us are in charge. The one who created us and made us, everything is better when he is in charge. And so in choosing a prevailing faith, we have to recognize who we are. So it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. We embrace that I'm a branch and disconnected from the vine, I have very little to give. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, right? This is me now choosing this abiding faith. He who abides in me, and now this is pretty amazing what Jesus does. So when we move toward that, what does he do? He reciprocates it. And so when we place our faith in him, he, so, so he who abides in me and I in him, it's reciprocated back to us. He is going to come and eat with us, be with us, meet with us, speak to us, guide us, lead us, and says, who bears much fruit? So I'm the vine, you are the branches. Who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, right? Abiding life brings life, it brings faith, it brings all those things we've already spoken of. But then it says, apart from me, you can do, what's the word? Nothing. <clears throat> so I'm just gonna be borderline blasphemous here for a second. That's not true in the way that we think about Nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing, and I think what Jesus is saying here, of value, of worth. Apart from Jesus, apart from the source, there is very little of value and worth that we will do in this world. But you can do a whole lot of things apart from Jesus. Right? A whole lot of things. And this is our Titus text. One of many texts that would help show this kind of what happens when we don't abide Titus 3, 2, it says that, that we can do something, that we can speak evil, that we can quarrel, we can be harsh, we can treat others without dignity. So this is true in the sense of, apart from me, you can do nothing, meaning of worth and value, but apart from Jesus, there is many things that we can do to cause harm and to hurt and to not profess and proclaim our Savior. 
So disconnection from the vine brings death. Abiding brings life. So it says in verse 2, and we're going to read 2 and 3, Titus 3, 2 and 3, it says, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Now, when we think about a prevailing faith, a faith that leads us and guides us and defines us, we often think of these fantastic people, and that truly are fantastic. Like, there's a man that I truly has motivated and um, caused me to think about mission in a way that few have, and that'd be Jim Elliott. I don't know if you know who Jim Elliott was, but Jim Elliott was a man who decided to take him and his family and many others, and they went to bring the gospel to the unreached tribal groups of the Amazon region. And in taking the gospel to them, Jim and many other men were, were killed by those very people they were trying to bring the gospel to. There was a movie, uh, The Edge of the Spear, that was put out a few years ago. But later then, his wife would go in, continuing his work, and they were so amazed that this woman whom they had killed her husband, would come in, still kind of placing her faith that God had called them to do this. And that whole tribal group came to know Christ. And by the faith of Jim Elliott and those men, a great work was done. Have you heard this before, right? So it's an amazing thing what he did. But I think the reality for a prevailing faith for a guy like Jim Elliott is that it's, it's encouraging to us, but it's not normal for us. How many of you are planning to move to the Amazon next week, right? There you go. Emma is. And so uh, I, I went to the Amazon a few years ago. Um, that was my first mission trip I ever went on. And I went to Amazon. I literally was like reading about Jim Elliott and wrote Debbie like a letter because I was going to die. It was, anyway, that really happened. And, and that, that is this kind of prevailing faith. But I doubt, I don't think that's where I'm going to live. But there's a, another person of a prevailing faith that's maybe more like you and I in this room. Um, her name's Betty Johnston. She was my grandmother. Um, she was raised in a Christian home. Her mother died when she was young. Her aunt Betsy came to live with her. Betsy was really mean, um, wasn't very nice. Um, and she lived with her, raised her. Um, but my grandma was a Christian. She, she was genuinely saved and loved Jesus um, very, very much. She married a guy named Bill Johnston. And Bill um, was my grandfather. And I love my grandpa. And he did many things. But I wouldn't say necessarily if I coined on a man, a good man. I'm not sure I would call my grandfather a good man. Um, he was really harsh with my grandmother. He, um, he would never go to church. If he did, he would sit outside in the car when he would drop her off. Um, she felt guilty, I would find out later in her life, for reading her Bible and praying because she always felt like in some ways um, it was like condemning him because he didn't and there would always be tension in her life for her faithfulness of reading the Bible and praying. But she did it anyway. She had five children, and all those children um, gave their life to Christ and are all followers of Jesus. And I believe even me today, as I stand here, by her faithfulness and her faith through the hardships and struggles of her life, she had a prevailing faith that took her through the hardships and the storms of her life. I think Betty, Grammy, as I like to refer to her, it's super weird to call her Betty. My Grammy was more like you and I than maybe Jim Elliot, although both very, very noble people and with the Lord today. 
So for us, when we, when we don't abide, when, when we don't place a prevailing faith, when we don't abide, two things spin out of control. Us and this world. And they overwhelm us. But when we choose a prevailing faith that abides, we bear fruit and we point people to Jesus. And again, we all win when we all choose a prevailing faith. And so we're going to repeat again. I'm going to say it, then you say it. We all win when we choose a prevailing faith. Go. So let's do it one more time. We all win when we choose a prevailing faith. Church, in this morning, I would just say, do we believe, right? Saying and believing are two completely different things. But believing that the vine is enough, that Jesus is enough, and abiding in him, it's, it's enough that he really can be the source of life for me. That I can choose a prevailing faith. And I believe in these two things. When we do this, we may disagree, and we will disagree, but we will all win, and we will do it with civility, and we will do it with kindness, and we will do it with compassion, because we are abiding in the true source, and we're choosing a prevailing faith. Because the realities of choosing a prevailing faith is, not everything always makes sense. And I don't always have enough information to make judgments about many things in life. And so for me, and I know for you, I have to choose a prevailing faith that God is in control, that he is far above us and he is far beyond us, and I am going to place my faith in him today for whatever circumstances that face me because he is bigger, he is wider, and his expanse and his knowledge is far greater than mine. And so we choose, right? So we abide in the true source, choose a prevailing faith, and then third, engage, I said this wrong, live transformed by the gospel, Live transformed by the gospel. So Titus 3, 4 through 7, I want to read it, and I'm going to add some as I read. So it says first that, in verse 4, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, Jesus has come. He saved us. He died and rose and made a way for us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, not in our own strength, but according to his own mercy by his strength, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, cleanses, renews, transforms us. Verse 6, whom he poured out on us richly, the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, by, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, this is another gospel proclamation in the book of Titus. One of the odd things about the Apostle Paul and his writings is he is always going to not go, he'll, he'll go about 10, 12 verses without proclaiming the gospel, and he just does it again. He just throws them in, these kind of long lists of this is what Jesus has done. This is what Jesus has done. Hey, don't forget, this is what Jesus has done. So some of you this morning might, might do this. You may say, Ryan, I know. <laughs> I know what Jesus has done. I mean, how many of you in this room know what Jesus has done? We all do. You've heard this. You've heard it before. And so why do we just keep going over it over and over and over and over again? Why did Paul just go over it over and over and over again? 
Because it's not about what you know that matters. You can know something without it gripping you. And see, the issue we face isn't what we know, it's what grips us. It's the gospel gripped your heart so deeply that you can't do anything else but serve your Savior because of what he has done. He saved me. He died and rose. He and not works done in my own righteousness, but according to his mercy. And so what it looks like is this, is there was this Mack truck coming at you and me called Death, Hell, and Judgment, and it was going to hit me. And my Savior pushed me out of the way, and he took death, hell, and judgment, and he got hit by that truck, and I didn't. And for the rest of my life, I don't know about you, but I just want to live my life reciprocating my gratefulness and my love for the one who took death, hell, and judgment for me. And not only did he take those things for me, but he wants to make me a new man, a holy man, a godly man that loves him and adores him and, and lives for him. And one day when I see him face to face, he's going to do it forever. This is what he wants us to do, to live transformed by the gospel. So it's not an issue of, do you know the facts? It is, do do the facts grip you and move you and motivate you in the day-to-day of our lives? I know, I know, I know. Does it move you? Does it motivate you in the day-to-day with your mom or your dad, your husband or your wife, your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids, your nieces, your nephews, the people you work with, the places you go, does it affect this gospel, how we move outward with our lives? Has it gripped us? See, this passage, these passages that we read are clear that they've called us to abide in the true source and that we all win when we abide in the true source. That we all win when we choose a prevailing faith. And we all win when we live transformed by the gospel, by the good news of Jesus Christ. But the reality, I believe, in this age of incivility that we have in our life, I think one of the clear realities is that we live in a very, very, very thirsty world. Longing for something of meaning, longing for something of purpose. And I believe in this room that all of us long for something of meaning and something of purpose. And we run and drink from many things to find it. But Jesus says it like this in John 17, all who are thirsty come to me and drink. Becoming convinced in our lives that abiding in Jesus is where my thirst will actually be quenched. That resting in Jesus is where my thirst will actually be quenched in my life. And we can run to all of these other wells. And I do believe that as we run to these other wells, we embrace, as our society does, a culture of incivility. We speak in harshness and quarrels, and we are harmful to others, trying to get them over to our side of the argument. But church, I would just say, I think there's a better way. And I think there's plenty of things that we need to have dialogues in in our society. And I have opinions of those as much as anyone. But I believe there's a better, there's a better way. And it's abiding in the true vine. And in abiding to the true vine that I'm informed by my Savior and I come to him and I drink and my love and affection for him grows in strength and it overpowers all the other loves of my life and leads me to a life of selflessness, of fulfillment, of peace, and of blessing. So I believe in the day in which we live where we all win, We all win when we abide. We all win when we choose the prevailing faith. We all win 
when we live lives transformed by the gospel. And so for us this morning, I'm going to challenge you to this, to commit or recommit. Now, here's the thing how this works. We're going to sing a song. Um, it's an old song. It's, I asked to do it. It's one of my favorite old songs. It's um, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I believe that's in some ways what this text is saying. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Maybe today you've never given your life to Christ. There is a place where we initially turn our eyes toward him, and he will save us by his grace. If you've never turned your eyes to Jesus to set your affections, to set your heart on him, to be redeemed of your sins and set free. Today, you can do that. You can come to these altars. You can do it where you sit. You can come down here and talk to me. Say, today, I want to give my life to Christ. But if you've done that, then there's this thing called recommit. And I think this recommit thing isn't something that we do every once in a while, but I think it's a thing we do a lot. And so um, those of you who have trusted in Jesus, just raise your hand quick if you've abided perfectly well in Jesus this week. No anger, no selfishness, no pride poked out of your life. No, these are realities of our lives. And I can't raise my hand at those things either. But I do believe that we all win when we all abide. And I do believe that we all win when we all choose a prevailing faith. And I believe that we all win. We all win when we live transformed by the gospel. And so what I would say to you is, Maybe we need to stop resting in, oh yeah, I know I'm never going to be perfect. Maybe we stop just kind of being flippant with our faith in those ways. And we become a little more serious that because I didn't abide this week, I harmed the heart of God and I harmed others. Father, help me. Help me to abide in you that your compassion and your love and your care will flow out of my life. This week, that my sin is a serious thing. And I don't want to be gripped by it anymore, but I want to abide in the vine, choose a prevailing faith, and live transformed by the gospel increasingly. So this morning, these altars are open for you to come and kneel and pray, to confess, to commit, to recommit your life to the Lord. And might we do that well, in light of his glory and grace. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful today for your care and your compassion toward us. Jesus, we, we do believe that your grace is unmerited. We have done nothing to gain it or earn it. Jesus, we believe that you are the true source, that in you we bear much fruit, and apart from you we can do nothing of value. But Lord, we know that apart from you, we have felt the pain of that toward us and Lord, us toward others. So Lord, help us to take you very seriously at your word. Or the person who's not trusted in you, give them the strength to turn and place their faith in you today. Or the person who has, Lord, help us collectively to recommit this morning our life to an abiding, prevailing faith. Lord, work as you will. Speak to us where we uniquely are. 
Help us to respond, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand, we're going to sing. The altars are open for you to come and pray.